0: Have Thank you for that. If you would turn in your Bibles to Romans, as our video introduced for us, and we are continuing on our series in Romans. If you feel comfortable at this point, if you want to take your masks off, you can, since we're seated and distanced. But if you want to keep them on, please feel however you feel comfortable to do. Turn in Romans chapter 4, verse 13. Romans chapter 4, verse 13 is where we are going to be reading from today. And we're going to actually read through chapter 5, verse 5. Uh, and we're going to talk through something that is important. Last week we talked about the justification by faith, the, the, really the miracle of justification of righteousness that we receive from God. We who are sinners have now obtained this righteousness. It was a miracle. But one of the aspects that Paul really doubles and triples down on in these chapters is the, the, the knowledge or the truth of saving faith. And so that's what we're going to look at today. What is saving faith? So, if you would, let's read along, whether you're reading in, a, uh, uh, in your devices or in your copy of God's Word. We'll begin in verse 13. For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would inherit the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. If those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made empty and the promise nullified, because the law produces wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. This is why the promise is by faith, so that it may be according to grace to guarantee it to all the descendants. Not only those who are of the law, but of those who are of Abraham's faith. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. He is our father in God's sight, in whom Abraham believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls things into existence that do not exist. He believed, hoping against hope so that he became the father of many nations according to what had been spoken, so will your descendants be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body to already dead since he was about 100 years old and also the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver in unbelief at God's promise, but was strengthened in his faith and gave God, glory to God, because he was fully convinced that what God had promised, he was able to do. Therefore, it was credited to him for righteousness, that it, now it was credited to him was not written for Abraham alone, but also for us. It would be credited to us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful as we have gathered here to sit and hear and read and be changed by your word. Lord, as you inspired every word, jot, and tittle that Paul wrote, you did it for your glory and for our good. And we pray, God, that now as we read your word, that you would change us because of it. In Jesus' name, amen. There was a pastor who had long, long departed from the gospel, preaching a very uh, minuscule faith, one who didn't use the Bible but used a a generic belief in God, told a story that summarized the false teaching that he prescribed to. He told a story about a frog that had fell into a a pot of milk. And no matter what that frog did, he couldn't get up out. There was nothing that he could do. Uh, The flotation of the milk did not allow him to use his legs to spring and get out of the pail. So what did the frog do? He just started to move his legs faster and faster and harder and harder. And this pastor tells in the story that because of this work, the milk started to curdle because of all the churning that he was doing. And eventually, voila, after, he, after a certain time, he was able to jump for freedom. This pastor's message, or his false message, so to speak, was this, just keep paddling, keep working, do your best, and everything will work out. Maybe you've heard something like that before. I recently, in the last few years, heard someone say, using that old poem, The Dash, maybe you've seen that poem that is said sometimes at funerals that that God gives us the beginning and God gives us the end and we live in the dash. That's the, the importance of that life because that dash signifies the life. Well, I heard a pastor recently say, well, God gives life and God knows the number of our days and it's up to us to live in that dash and to do with what we want to do. Brothers and sisters, that is some of the false teaching and false understanding that comes to us many times maybe well-meaning but is not the good news of Jesus and not the good news of the Bible Paul explicitly helps us see that it is by faith in Jesus Christ alone in which we are saved now many of us might think that that's exaggerated but But you know, many of us will sing the song Amazing Grace, and yet we live most of our life not based on grace, but how much we do. Instead, the Bible teaches that we gain salvation in faith alone, that justification, as we talked last week, that if we are justified before God, it is because we have received his righteousness through faith alone. However, you ask simple, church-going people, maybe in a poll-type form, what what would be some of the things that you would say? What gets me to heaven? How does one obtain salvation? Well, you might get one of three different answers. Someone might say, because I've tried my best to be a good Christian. Well, that sounds good. But isn't that really salvation by works? I've tried to do and be a good Christian. Some might say, because I believe in God and try to do His will. Well, that sounds good, but isn't that salvation in faith plus works? That I believe in God, but that I have to do His will to be saved? Some might say, because I believe in God with my heart. Well, that is not a terribly wrong answer, but it's almost a salvation, as, a salvation by faith as a work. That if we just have this much faith that God shows that we are just really good, faithful, we have mucho faith, that we can be big in our faith and God will reward our faith. No, brothers and sisters, Paul wants us to see that it is that we are saved by faith. In the work of Jesus alone. So the question becomes before us, and that you might even be asking, what is saving faith? Well, thankfully, Paul answers that here in chapter 4. But he uses it using an illustration of Abraham, or using Abraham as the way to help explain saving faith. For those of you who are maybe new to Christianity or to the Bible, Abraham is whom God chose back in Genesis to form the nation and the race of Israel. He called him out of Ur, that he called him to faith at Abraham, even in his late stages of his life, to follow God, that God would bless him and give him a land. But many descendants at this time, in Genesis chapter 17, he gives, again, Abraham a covenant promise. He gave it to Abraham four times to make sure that Abraham was listening and trusting in him. But this promise was read this way, Genesis 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him, saying, I am God Almighty, live in my presence and be blameless. I will set up my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell face down, and God spoke with him. As for me, here is my covenant with you. You will become the father of many nations. Your name will no longer be Abram, but your name will be Abraham, for I will make you a father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful and will make Nations and kings come from you. I will confirm my covenant that is between you and your future offspring throughout their generation. It is a permanent covenant to be your God and the God of your offspring after you. And to you and your future offspring, I will give the land where you are residing, all the land of Canaan, as a permanent possession, and I will be their God. Imagine Abraham at 90 years old, and then eventually at 100 years old when his first son with Sarah was born. Of course, it would take great faith to believe in this promise of God. But Abram, Abraham believed. And we read in our scripture today that because of his belief, God credited his belief that he might receive the righteousness of Christ that we receive. Today, God promises to the same saving faith that Abraham had is available to us that we would believe what God promised to do. Then if we trust in him, then we will be saved. And in our passage today, I want us to see three truths about saving faith. The first one, if you're taking notes at home or here, a faith that saves does not need our obedience. A faith that saves does not need our obedience. Now, let me just be clear up front. I'm not saying that obedience does not result from faith, but saving faith Does not need obedience. Paul is attacking straight on the argument that Jewish believers would have that you must have both Jesus and the works of the law to be a true Christian. Now, this was even, yes, those who had turned from the Jewish faith and turned to the resurrected Christ. They had a hard time putting away sort of their Jewish religious tradition. But in their failure was that they believed in actually a Jesus plus a work. This must save them, plus you must follow the law. Well, Paul argues here that this is not the requirement for saving faith. And Abraham is the example of that. Paul helps us to argue and understand that here's just a simple understanding, a helpful, helpful truth. Abraham lived 500 years before the law even existed. So if you believed, he would say, that Abraham was saved by faith, then it couldn't be from the law because he hadn't even heard or seen the law. So saving faith is not from us following a set of rules, but instead of saving faith. Well, what was the point of the law? Well, Paul's argument was, here in verse 13 uh, verse 15 because the law produces wrath and where there is no law there is no transgression Paul reminds us something that is a biblical understanding of the law and its teachings is the purpose of the law was to help the nation of Israel understand what a holy God is but it also was a benchmark for us to understand what sin was and for us to understand that it was the wrath of God because we were not following the law. That we were to understand that the law was a marker for us to understand that we were transgressors against God. So, for example, just maybe to understand it maybe in a more simpler way. Maybe you're walking in some woods and you kind of keep walking and you stumble Across, not knowing that you had, had stumbled into somebody else's property. And you realized you were at somebody's house, It just kind of things cleared up, and all of a sudden you were there. Well, you didn't know that, right? You just showed up, and you, you, are, you, are, you are trespassing, but you didn't know it. Or on the other hand, here's another way that could have happened. You are stumbling through the woods, or you came through, and you see a sign that said, no trespassing, private property, keep out, and yet you still went on that person's property. Well, in the first way, yes, you were a transgressor because you went on private property but didn't know it, but with the signs posted, it's very clear that you are a transgressor. You have gone against what is the private property of that individual. In the same way, Paul says that the law was really a signpost, a gift from the Lord for us to see that we were transgressors to him that would require us to come to him for forgiveness and for help. And that's why verse 16 says it's not really the law that saves us, but what in verse 16? This is why the promise is by faith, so that it may be according to grace to guarantee to all the descendants, not only those who are of the law, but those who are of Abraham's faith. See, for us, it is to be reminded that obedience is not, it is not that we come through saving faith through obedience, but instead that we come through trusting the completed work of Christ, that it is our Faith that saves, just like it saved Abraham. Romans 4, 4 through 5, earlier in this chapter, Paul makes it actually very plain for us to understand when he says, Now to the one who works, pay is not credited as a gift, but as something owed. But to the one who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited for righteousness. Paul helps us to see that if we were to be earning our salvation, then it would be a payment owed back to us. But Paul said, this is a gift of grace to us because we believe. What Paul said to Abraham was not obey this law and I will bless you, but I bless you. Believe in my promise. Listen. Listen to this. Saving faith is ending one kind of trust and changing to another kind of trust. It is ending your trust to yourself and placing your trust in the work of Christ. It is a trust transfer. It is no longer trusting yourself to come to God, but instead, Believing that God saves through the work of his son, Jesus Christ. This is not a general belief in God, but a trust in the one true God who sacrificed his one son to pay for the penalty of our sins. This trust is what matters, which leads to number two. A faith that saves is trusting God to do what only God can do. The rest of this passage through chapter four kind of explains Abraham's faith in his predicament. He is saying that he, that Abraham's hope, is in the Lord. Now, the word or the term "hope" is used in Romans more than any other New Testament book, and it's distinguished from what we would say is hope today. Many people secular people would say that hope is something I I kind of hope that happens. I'm kind of hoping that turns out this way. But a biblical, a foundational hope that Paul talks about is a hope knowing that God will fulfill his promise. In verse 18, Paul is Reflecting, or they're talk, Paul is reflecting on, on this promise God made to Abraham that God said, I will make you the father of many nations. And okay, let's think again of this position. Abraham's in his 90s. And at age 100, he is going to give, he's going to father his first child with Sarah. Sarah's in her 90s. And you can imagine, just as we would all. <laughs> God, there's no way this is going to happen. You are crazy. This is not the way this works out. Let alone that we could possibly do this. But God, how am I going to have at age 100 changing diapers and following toddlers? This is crazy, God. Are you sure? Well, it says here in verse 18 that he believed, hoping against hope so that he became the father of many nations that's a weird phrasing what does it mean well it means that Abraham had a hope that could not be explained in this world that there was nothing in this world that was going to make this promise come to fruition that God had said he was going to father many nations and the world was going to be populated with his children, his children of faith. That The only way that this could possibly happen is if God does what he says he's going to do. Calvin put it succinctly when he said, The meaning is that when he had no grounds for hope, Abraham still relied on the hope and the promise of God. God promised that, that yes, even at age 100, you would father many nations. And that that Abraham put the trust in something that verse 21 says, because he was fully convinced that what God had promised, he was also able to do. You see, when we have saving faith, we are putting faith in what only God can do. That only God can save us. That only God has sacrificed his son. That only God has taken away the sins of the world. There is no way that this world, our actions, whatever we could think up, could never do what only God could do. This this highlighted the faith that Abraham had his, his entire life. God called him out of Ur to come and go to a land. I'm not going to tell you where the land is. I'm not going to show you where the land is. You're just supposed to follow me. Later on, he's going to say, I'm going to promise you that I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And and here he he trusted that God would provide a son. Now, we know that faith did not come easy for Abraham. He faltered and he failed. And he tried to make his own way, just like many ways we do. Abraham had an unshifting faith, and it even came after his son Isaac was born. There was a a time in his life that God called Abraham and said, Abraham, you know the son that I promised you? Well, I want you to go up and sacrifice him to me as a promise to show that I am the true God and that you trust me. And what did Abraham do? He did it. He took him out into the wilderness and even got to the point of raising the knife, but God stopped him. And Hebrews eleven seventeen says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, he received the promises, and yet he was offering his one and only son. You see, what is the basis of all this? It is that Abraham knew that his hope was in God, not in the world, not in him, but in a promise that only God could do. And that in that hope that his descendants, his future kings that God promised to give him, this everlasting covenant would come through the one person God was going to send the world that was Jesus Christ. And in the same way that Abraham was willing to offer up his son, God offered up his son for us. And yet he went all the way and poured his wrath on him and paid for our sin. And so how do we have saving faith? Well, it tells us in verse 23, now it was credit to him, was not written for Abraham alone, but also for us. It would be credit to believe those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification there is this hope that that Abraham had that I don't know what God you're calling me to do if I need to sacrifice my son I'm willing to do it even if you if I kill him you raise Isaac from the dead whatever I know God you're going to do what only you do well in the same way we say we trust in Christ who died for us, and God, you do what only you do. You you poured your wrath on him, paid for the penalty for our sin, and you, God, raised your son to life, that we have faith in him, that all who believe in him have hope and have faith and have eternal life. And this is saving faith, that we trust in only what God can do. And that's saving us through His Son, Jesus Christ. And when we trust and faith in God, we not only get born again, but number three, this faith, this saving faith, a faith that saves, results in, I'm going to give you a couple things. There, are, We know that Every word and every jot and tittle of the Bible is inerrant and is without flaw. It has been inspired by God. But the numbers are, kind of, are given by humanity. And we know that many scholars have spent time giving pagination and verses and chapters to help us as we take in this knowledge. But we know as we're reading, we read chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, well, therefore what? You don't start a new thought with therefore. Therefore, this is what this is there for. Therefore, what happened before is important. So his his understanding in verse chapter 4 continues here to help us see a result of what Paul is saying when we have saving faith that leads to our justification and righteousness. Verse 5, therefore, since we have been declared righteous, how? By faith, What? Here's the the results. Number one, we have peace between you and God. There is peace between you and God. There is a a peace that the Bible talks about that is a subjective peace. That, you know, we have peace that passes all understanding in God. But what Paul is talking about here is an objective peace. One that knows for sure we have been made at peace with God. You see, when we sin and our parents, our first parents, Adam and Eve sin, and each, all of humanity now sins, we are now enemies. We are warring factions with God. Why? Because as we talked in chapter 1, we think we have the authority. We have set ourselves up as our de facto kings and queens of our lives. And so we have butted against the sovereignty and rule of God. God is the true king, but anytime we sin, we're actually saying, No, I know what's best. You don't, God. And so we are de facto at war with another king, God. But also, he's at war against us because we're disobedient. And in our disobedience deserves his wrath. And so, in our sin, we are at war with God. And we know that's why we are separated from him and that we are against him. But here's the good news. By faith, we're now at peace with God. Everybody's put down their arms. Because God put his wrath, his arms, against his son. And his son has paid the price that we deserve. And there's a lasting peace treaty that has come for those who believe in faith in Jesus Christ. So in Christ, there has become this wonderful reconciliation that we're at peace with God. Let her be a result that we read here in, in verse 2. Uh, one, we have peace with God, but we also have obtained access to him by faith. That we have grace to be near God. That this word that says access, it actually can be translated, be we are brought near to God. And we know when God set up the temple and there was the... Holy of Holies, the place where the presence of God resided with his people. We know that because of the separation of our sin, there was a a great curtain, a a, a huge curtain, a thick curtain that was separated the priests from from the Holy of Holies, the presence of God, that no one could access God except for the priests at a certain time of year. And when we read uh, in the Gospels, when Jesus died, what happened to that curtain? That the curtain tore from the top to the bottom as a cosmic sign that God was saying there is no more division between me and you. The good news for us is that through Christ, because of our faith in Jesus, we now can just walk right on in and we're always in the presence of God. Do you feel like you're far away from God? Do you feel like that maybe God is is someone who is distant? Well, brothers and sisters, if you're trust, you need to trust in Christ. Put your faith on Jesus and be brought near as a child. Or maybe you're a Christian that feels far away from God. Well, friends, God has not moved. You have. Maybe there's a sin that's keeping you from feeling close to God. Maybe you need to come and repent and and confess, but the good news is that God forgives it and you are, you are near. You are near to that God that loves you. You have access. Come near. Let us see. Not only does our saving faith give us, uh, give us grace to be near and peace between us and God, but we also, let us see, have hope in the glory of God. Verse 2, it says that we, um, in, into this grace in which we stand, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. This hope is what, not what the world says, as we've talked about. This is a certain hope. This is a steady hope, one that does not change. It is the anchor for us to know that we, no matter what, even when we fail and even when we falter, even when we wander, we know that God saved us, and we are his And that we have hope knowing what God has promised will come to pass. Letter D, we also have this wonderful joy in the midst of suffering. Verse 3 says, and not only that, but we rejoice in our affliction because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character and proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. You see, when we have faith in God, we we also not just have a one-time faith that that believes and puts us in the status of being saved uh, in God's uh, kingdom, but we have an ongoing faith to believe in Him and to trust in Him That he's at work in our world and that even in our suffering, there's a purpose. That God is doing something through us. So our faith is made more. Our faith becomes greater. And as a Christian, our saving faith becomes a lasting faith even in the storms of life. R.C. Sproul observed, saying, Paul is saying that if God is in control, then the most bitter human experiences we are called upon to endure death, disease, the loss of loved ones, war, terror, all these things that we dread in the depths of our beings become not only tolerable, but we can actually glory in them because we know that God has promised to redeem every pain we experience see, the world might say, well, that's kind of, are you looking for suffering? No, we're not looking for suffering. We're not hoping for suffering. We're not thinking this is a badge of honor that we want more suffering. No, instead, we look at suffering and know that God is right there in it for us. And what does it do? What does God have a purpose in our suffering? What does God do? Well, he tells us it leads to Perseverance. In the midst of our suffering, when we have faith in him, we persevere. Uh, that word can also mean that it becomes single-minded. And in that suffering, what happens is we persevere, holding on to him and understanding that everything else doesn't quite really matter as much, does it? When we're in suffering, God reveals those things that maybe we thought our world revolved around. But in suffering, God takes many of those things away. That's kind of been the story of COVID-19 for many of us, hasn't it? Maybe it's jobs, and maybe it's sports, and maybe it's something else, but when we found out, actually, in the midst of all this, that family matters the most. And being together matters more. That worshiping together matters more. That God has used suffering in the midst of all of this to help us persevere because we're holding on to God. And we're persevering because of Him. And what else happens? Once we persevere, it says it leads to character. It's a testedness. It's like maybe in the sports world, you know uh, maybe a team makes it to the playoffs and you hear and say, well, this... You know, this team, this is a young team. This is their first time in 20-some years that they've been in the playoffs. They're not playoff tested, so we're going to have to see how they do during this. Well, in many ways, as we go through suffering and we endure trusting in God with great faith, it develops something in us that God is developing our character and building our character he builds in us patience. He builds in us kindness. He helps us to endure with a character that reflects his son. And finally, when this character is built, it comes into real hope. It concludes by saying endurance. A character produces hope. You see, when we hold on to God, and we endure in God, and we grow in God, then our hope becomes more in God. We realize all the more that we need Him, and all the more that we see God is doing exactly what He says He's going to do. Suffering drives us to a place where we find our real hope, and this joy deepens because we see God is working in us. You see, if we depend on something else, if we depend on ourselves, our experience, our know-how, all these different things, we will crack in suffering. But when we hold on to God, we will endure. It is our faith in God, our faith in his son that helps us and prepares us to face the suffering. So as a result, or as reading this, the question has to come to you. Do you have saving faith? Do you have a trust in what God has done through his son, Jesus Christ, alone? Not sprinkle in a little more of you. Not sprinkle in a little more of good works. But in Christ alone. If you're far from God, the good news is you are but faith. In trust in Jesus Christ away from being a child of God. We hope you will trust in him. But believer, what area of your life do you need to grow in faith? And what area do you need to, just in the same way, obtain your salvation in that same way you trust in Christ alone? How are you trusting in God alone in your life? Brothers and sisters, look to the cross. Look to that cross that saved you. Look to the work of Jesus alone that saved. And in that same way, that same faith, that same trust, trust transfer your trust from yourself back to God. And what area do you need to trust in God in your life today? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the example of your life Thankful of of the gift of your son, Jesus. That it is in grace alone that we are saved. By faith that we obtain our salvation. And God, we are thankful for this. That we are thankful that this grace gift does not depend on us, our obedience, but on you alone. And so, Lord, I pray today that it does not know you as Savior that have not obtained salvation, that you would today, by trusting in you alone, in saving faith, they would become a child of God. And all of us who are believers, that we would now trust you and you alone in all things in our life. The saving faith which produced life in us eternally is a life that we now live by faith. Thank you for this today, God. Thank you for the gift of your Son in Jesus Christ. Amen.